Well, hey there, everyone. I'm Daniel Hahn, and I'm the online campus pastor here at Oxford Assembly of God Church, and this is our podcast. And I just want to thank you for listening today. We hope the message you're about to hear inspires you, builds your faith, and helps you see that God has a purpose for your life. And now, let's get into the message. Have you ever asked yourself the question, who am I? Who am I? We often answer that question with what we do. Well, I'm a pastor. I'm a teacher. I'm a laborer. I'm a nurse. I'm a painter. I didn't ask you what you were. I said, who are you? But who am I? See, your answer will probably be based on your perspective or perception. Now, I began to wonder which one of those words was correct to use, so I, I looked them up. And perspective means a particular attitude toward or way of regarding something, a point of view. So from your perspective, who are you? Then perception is a way of regarding or understanding or interpreting something. So we look at something, say, I perceive, I have a perception. So either one of those words would probably work because how you see something is very important. There's a little story that most of you have heard, but I like it, so I'm going to tell it again. But a little boy was late getting home or headed home for playing with the kids, and it was getting dark. So he cut through the cemetery so he could take a shortcut and fell into an open grave. Well, he tried to get out, but the grave was high and he couldn't get out. So he knew his mom would come looking for him for long, so he wasn't really worried. So he just sat down in the end of the grave and just waited for his mom. But he heard something coming, and it was not his mom. It was the, the town drunk, and he was singing loud, and he fell in the other end of the grave. And he was trying to get out. He was digging and getting like crazy, and he wasn't getting anywhere until the little boy said, you won't get out either. <laughs> but he did because he had a different perception. Well, who, who am I? Who am I? I love the story that James Davis shared in his book, The Faith Book. Told the story of Theodore Roosevelt when he was president of the United States, and he had a confidant that he would often share things with, and they would talk about their perplexities, their pressures, and all the problems of the day. And they would often take a walk at night and look at the stars, and they'd look to see who would find the Andromed Galaxy first. And the one that found it first would say, that speck of light is the Andromedia Galaxy. It's bigger than our Milky Way and contains more than one billion suns, each bigger than our own sun. It is only one galaxy of more than a hundred million such galaxies. And after they looked at that, they made the statement, now since we have gained a better and broader perspective of life, let us retire to the bed for the evening. Because they realized that their 
problems, their perplexities, as great as it was as a president of the United States, compared to what is in the universe was just a speck. Just a speck. Because it's all based on perception. Now, I realized that was a little bit old, so I thought I'd look up any new discoveries in, in recent space discoveries. The top 10 in 2021. I'm not going to share them all with you. But I want to just share a few. This was in 2021, so that's, that's pretty recent, right? Matter of fact, on Christmas Day 2021, Europe and Canada launched the James Webb Space Telescope. Now, you say, well, what's the big deal about that? Most of us have heard of the Hubble Telescope. You've heard of the Hubble Telescope and how it really changed our perception of things? Well, the Hubble Telescope circles the globe at about two to 300 miles away around the Earth. This James Webb Telescope is supposed to circle the Earth at a million miles out. How many knows you're just a speck? Then they discovered another black hole. This is last year. That the mass of that black hole is equal to 55 million suns. Now, I, I can't vouch for this. I'm just telling you that's what they say. And if you want to argue with them, they'll probably argue with you, but I don't know. Then they discovered one more, the, the unicorn. That's the closest black hole. And it is only 1,500 light years away. So from that perspective, who are you? Almost zilch. A speck on the screen. Because from that perspective, we're nothing. But I'm glad that God does not perceive us as a nothing. I'm glad that God does not perceive us nothing. So I asked the question, well, who are you? Well, there were two individuals in the Bible that asked the question. The first was Moses in Exodus chapter 3, verse 11. And he says, but Moses said to God, who am I? That I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. He was asking a good question because from his perspective right then, what was he? He was herding his father-in-law's sheep. He was just a speck in the desert, an insignificant someone, and yet God speaks to him and tells him, I want you to go and do something for me. And he asked that question, well, who am I to do that? He could have went back in history and said, you know, I once grew up in the king's house. He could have said, I was once a nobody as a baby placed in a, in a basket in the river. But he said, who am I? And this is what God said. He said, but I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. 
I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. So Moses asked that question, well, who am I? Who am I? And like I said, you could go back and look at his history. In the past, he'd been raised by the shepherds, uh, the Pharaoh's daughter. We could say that he was a king's kid, but he had regressed to being a shepherd and he had even become a murderer. But he asked the question, who am I? But I want to remind you God's answer. God's answer is, I will be with you. I will be with you. So whatever you're going through today, if you're a child of God, now let me clarify that. I know some people say, well, all of us are children of God. I, I don't want to argue and I don't want to say, sound arrogant, but there's only one way to become a child of God. And the Bible says, as many as received him, or to believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God, those are the only ones that are children of God. Everyone else are creations of God, but they're not children of God. But he made the promise to Moses. He said, I will be with you. So when you think about it and you ask that question, well, who am I? Well, I can just say simply, it really doesn't matter who you are as long as you've got God on your side. Because God plus you is more than enough. God plus you are, is a majority. You're able to withstand. And that's what Moses said. And it made such an impact in Moses' life that later on when he had said, I will go with you, that whenever God was speaking to Moses and he was conversing with him, Moses told, Jesus, or told God, if you're not going with me, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. So Moses asked that question, who am I? And from a personal perspective, he might have said a nobody. And I can guarantee you in a crowd this size and those watching online, we have all different perspectives, all different viewpoints, all different thought processes. And we ask ourselves, who am I? And some of you think so lowly of yourself that you're going to begin to think about your background, thinking about where you came from. Think about Moses. He came as a baby that was put on the river. And yes, he was adopted into the family of Pharaoh's family, but he also became a murderer and a runaway. And for 40 years, all he did, the only thing, if somebody said, well, what do you do? He said, well, I take care of my father-in-law's sheep. Some people say he was insignificant. But the problem is we do not need to perceive who we are from our perspective. Now see, Moses, the people initially rejected him because they basically asked him the, who, the same question. Who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? But later on, they found out he was a deliverer. He was the prophet. He was their inspiration he was their leader. So that perspective changed. But what about God's perspective? See, it really doesn't matter who you think you are as long as you know who God thinks you are. In Hebrews chapter 11, it says this in verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he had was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. 
choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch him. See, by faith he became not what he thought he was going to be, but what God destined him to be. Who am I? Who am I? When he was, Moses was asking God that question, God was answering him. He said, I see you. Now, most of us have probably never had a burning bush experience. But you need to know something that just as surely as God saw Moses, he sees you. He says, I see you. Well, who am I, Lord? I'm a nobody. He said, that's what you think, but this is what I know. See, God was answering Moses because Moses, he knew what Moses was going through. And he thought that Moses thought he was just a speck on the universal plan. But God says, no, I've got a work for you to do. I know who you are. And if we're known by the Almighty God, that's really all that we need to know by. See, now the next person to ask the question, who, was, who am I, was a guy by the name of David. It's interesting. Go to 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 17. Then David said to, no, excuse me. Then Saul said to David, here's my elder daughter Merib. I will give her to you for a wife. Only be valiant for me and fight the Lord's battle. For Saul thought, let not my hand be against him, but let the hand of the Philistines be against him. And David said to Saul, who am I? And who are my relatives, my father's clan in Israel, that I should be the son-in-law of the king? Now think about it. Now, I don't know many of you real personally. I don't know your background. Some of you might have been born in a prestigious family. You might can trace your background all the way back to the Mayflower or before. You may have be somebody really, really, really famous. But I also there's, dare say there's probably some of you in here that were a lot like David. Who am I to marry the king's daughter. Now, we've not had kings, but how many of you guys think that you would have been qualified to go marry the descendants of, of the queen of England or the king of England? Yeah, I'm the one. Dream on. Dream on because you're not, and that was David said, who am I? Who am I? He said, I'm the least of the least. He said, my, my clan is one of the least. He was of the tribe of Benjamin. Nobody's. He said, who am I 
to marry the king's daughter. Who am I? Now, some of you are sitting around there, and you're asking that question. Well, who am I? I'm the least of the least of the least. Let me just make sure I'm not speaking just about how many of you grew up knowing that in many people's eyes you were not one of them? That you were one of them. Okay? Okay, so now I know there's some people out there understand what I'm coming from. Who am I? That's what David was asking. Who am I? But you know, David asked it again. So if you go over to 2 Samuels, 2 Samuels, 2 Samuels, you got that? 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 18. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that you have brought me thus far? What's he saying? He was, what, he, what he was saying, he said, look what the Lord has done. I was there and now I am here. Look what you have done. And oh Lord, what have I done to deserve it? And guess what? The answer is probably you didn't do anything to deserve it. But look what the Lord has done. Let's go on. And yet this was a small thing in your eyes, O Lord. God, you have spoken also of your servant's house for a great while to come. And this is instruction from mankind, O Lord God. And what more can David say to you? For you know your servant, O Lord God, because of your promise and according to your own heart, you have brought about all this greatness to make your servant know it. All this greatness. David says, I understand all this greatness. What looks what's happened. God has done. And look what's going on. What's happening? So that's it. Okay, Brenda, you need to have a seat, okay, until we get through with service. Then we'll pray, okay? Who am I that you have blessed so much? Who am I, God, that you have been so good to me? He asked David that. I mean, David asked God. How many of you have said that about yourself? God, why have you blessed me so much? Who am I? Well, in yourself, really nothing. But by the grace of God. See, Paul may have said best. best. Paul was another great man of faith. He was a great man of faith. And although he did not specifically ask the question, you can just leave that there. I'm going to take care of it later. Okay. From Paul's, didn't ask the question, but he answered it. He said, I am what I am. By what? By the grace of God. I am what I am by the grace of God. First Chronicles chapter 29, verse 14. But who am I? And what is my people that we should be able thus to offer willingly? For all things come from you, and all your own have we given you. For we are strangers before you and sojourners as our, all of our fathers were. Our days on earth are like a shadow and there's no abiding. Another word for that abiding and there's no hope. 
But, oh, Lord, our God, all this abundance that we have provided for your building and your house, for your holy name, comes from your hand and is all your own. I know, my God, that you test the heart and have pleasures in the uprightness. In the uprightness of my heart, I freely offered these things to you. And now I've seen your people who are present here offering freely and joyously to you. Oh, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our fathers, keep forever such purposes and thoughts in your hearts of your people and direct your hearts to them. What was he saying? He said, look, God, I know that you've blessed me. In my own self, I was nothing from the least to the least. And I've married into the kingdom and God has blessed me. But the, really, the reality is, he says, I know that all I am is passing through. How many relates that to a New Testament scripture that talks about you and I? That what are we? We're not citizens of this earth. We're citizens of a greater kingdom. We're passing through and says this abundance, all these things are everything that I am is because of your blessings and your goodness. So David says, who am I? I asked that question, who am I? You've probably asked it, or maybe we could just rephrase it. Well, who are you? Now, I'm not going to tell you that it's not important on how you perceive yourself. Self-perception is very important because the Bible tells us to love your neighbor as yourself. And if you don't love yourself, it's hard to love your neighbor. So we need to have a good understanding and perception of who we are in Christ. We need to understand that. But that's not the greatest of important. And really, it's not all that important what other people think of you. Oh, yes, I know we like to have it. But what's really important is how God sees you. And how you see God. How God sees you. So does he see you as his child? And I've already mentioned the only way to get into that kingdom is by being born again through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's his only way. And so when he sees us, he sees us as his children. As many as received him gave you power to become the sons of God. Now, if you're a child of God, only you can answer that, but you and God, you're the only one. If you're a child of God, here's a few things that I want to tell you who you are. When you said, who am I? Well, if you're a child of God, you're forgiven. I said, if you're a child of God, what? You're forgiven. If you're a child of God, you're loved. With an unconditional love. Who am I? I don't know who I am. But I know that my sins are forgiven. And I'm loved by God. Paul may have put it best. As he wrote to the church at Ephesus. Ephesus. Uh, Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. And when I read this. I'm going to insert the word I. Instead of us. Because it's collective for all of the church. All of the body of Christ. But let's personalize it a little bit as we read this passage in Ephesians where it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed me in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined me or you 
He predestined you for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. To the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed you. He has blessed me in the beloved. King James says he's accepted in the beloved. Have any of you in all your life, have you ever been pushed aside and rejected? Then if you have, you understand what he's saying. God made you accepted in the beloved. He made me accepted in the beloved. So whenever I begin to ask, who am I? Yeah, I'm just a little blip on the screen, but I've been accepted in the beloved. I've been forgiven. I've been redeemed. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to me the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which is set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth in him I have obtained an inheritance Ooh, I haven't obtained an inheritance according having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will so that I who were first to hope in Christ might be the praise of his glory in him you also when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is a guarantee of our inheritance until I acquire possession of it. Whoa, to the praise of his glory. For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and the revelation of the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power to us who believe according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule, and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named not in this age but also in the one to come and he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church which is his body the fullness of him who fills all in all that is who you are as a child of God that is who I am I wasn't going to share this this morning but I really feel compelled to Something that I ran across last week as I was doing a funeral. I've used this passage numerous times. But in 2 Samuel chapter 12, tells a heartbreaking story of David with an infant son that was sick. And he prayed, and he fasted, and he prayed. And he fasted. Everybody became concerned about him because he was not eating. And the baby died. And when David began to take off his mourning clothes, he began to get back on with life. They asked him, well, while the baby was sick, you wouldn't eat. You were praying. But now he's dead. 
and he summed it up by saying, while he was alive, I still had hope that God would resurrect him or heal him. But now that he's gone, I cannot bring him back. But I can go to him. I can go to him. The promise. The promise. Now, this is what I'd never seen before. I'd used that passage several times. And I needed to read two more verses. Then David comforted his wife Bathsheba and went into her and lay with her and she bore a son and he called his name Solomon. Solomon means beloved of God. And the Lord loved him and sent a message by Nathan the prophet. So he called his name Jedidiah because of the Lord. Now, from our translation, we can't read that, but the name Jedidiah means the Lord has been kind. This ministered to me so richly, ministered to me so greatly when I realized that even though David had went through a terrible, terrible situation and circumstance, God had never forgotten him. And he let him know that by letting a son and named him Solomon, simply meaning beloved of God. And then the other name for Jedid was named Jedidiah because the Lord has been kind. Can I encourage you today, as we often have to go through struggles and things that we don't understand, we cannot comprehend can I encourage you to remember that God loves you? That God cares for you? And he is kind to you. Well, why? 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 None of us have answers. But I'm glad to know that God loves me with an unconditional love. Amen. And I remind myself of those blessings of God. On the way to church this morning, about 4.15, I heard a song. I'm sure I'd heard it before, but the song just touched me. And so when I got to the office, I looked it up, listened to it a few times. And it was written by the Steels, Southern Gospel Group. And in their process of my research, and then I found they made a statement. He says, don't curse the detours. Don't curse the detours. You say, why not? Nobody likes the detours. The song they wrote was called The Journey. I'm not going to read it. I just looked up the words this morning. But the chorus says, I'm thankful for the journey. The journey got me here. The roads that once didn't make sense now seems crystal clear. I know that faith is greater than doubt and love greater than fear. I'm thankful for the journey. The journey got me here. 
There were dark and narrow places where I crawled and where I climbed. I had to travel roads that were confusing at the time. There were nights my heart was breaking and I thought that I had been forsaken. But I'm thankful for the journey. The journey got me here. The roads that once didn't make sense now seems crystal clear. I know that faith is greater than doubt and love greater than fear. I'm thankful for the journey because the journey got me here. This last verse may apply to some of you. There are many in this moment who are walking through a fire. But let me offer a hope from wisdom that I've acquired. I can trust where the road leads, looking back at what's behind me, because I'm thankful for the journey, because the journey got me here. The roads that once didn't make sense now seems crystal clear. I know that faith is greater than doubt and love greater than fear. I'm thankful for the journey, for the journey got me here. Trusting. Asking the question, Lord, who am I? God gave me that message earlier in the week. And I've meditated it all, all week and said, well, who am I? Who am I? And in my own strength, my own ability, I'd say I'm nothing. But I am what I am by the grace of God. And every one of the promises in the Bible I can claim doesn't make that he's going to answer all my prayers the way that I think he should because I've come to the conclusion he knows a lot more than I do. But I'm glad. I'm glad. I'm thankful for the journey because the journey got me here. What do you mean here? Where I am today. Where you are today. If it hadn't been for your journey, guess what? You wouldn't be there. All the sad times, the good times, the blessed times, the night times, the day times. I'm thankful for the journey. Thankful for the journey. And I'm glad that I can say that last phrase. I can trust where the road leads looking back at what's behind me. David was devastated at the loss of his son, but God comforted him and reminded him, I love you. I'm kind to you. And I believe that's the message God wants to, you to hear today, that you're going through a struggle, going through a different time, saying, well, who am I? Who am I? And you say, well, in the glimpse of eternity or in this whole universe just blips on the screen but in the eyes of Jesus Christ you know what you're written on the palm of his hand he loves you on behalf of our pastor and staff here at OAG we want to say thank you thank you for being a part of our ministry we are grateful for you and the support you give our church and its ministries so that we can continue to do what God has called us to do, to be the family church for the family of God. For more content from Pastor Strickland and Oxford Assembly of God, check out our media website at oag.church/media.